before we get started here. Father, I do thank you for um, Ephraim and his family in this time of um, encouragement. We've got to visit and know them a bit and pray you'd bless him. Give him unction as he speaks for what we, um, what our hearts need ministered to. Mm -hmm. uh, may you be glorified. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So we're from Pennsylvania, um, born and raised Old Order Amish. How many of you heard of or met, how many of you met, physically met Amish people? Uh, a lot of you have. Okay, so very good. Uh, <laughs> so Lancaster County Amish um, is where I was born and raised, and uh, I got to, you know, hear about the scriptures, but I wasn't born again until I was 25. Um, and uh, I'm not going to talk about my salvation testimony as much this morning. I want to talk about what God, uh, what we do since. But uh, when, you know, when we got born again, it cost me everything uh, to become a Christian. It cost me the farm, cost me the family, cost me literally everything. And I knew it's going to cost that, but I was, uh, I counted the cost. The night I got rebaptized, I was still Amish. And uh, I said, if I get baptized... It's going to cost me the farm because my parents lived on, on the farm with us. It'll cost me my business and it'll cost me the family. And I said, but I'm still going to do it. And so that was, uh, you know, that was really, uh, I want to talk about God's faithfulness to us. So, um, We were, we were living on the farm with my parents, and uh, I got baptized in September, and then it was the following spring when we got excommunicated. And so we decided that either we need to move or my parents are going to move because it wouldn't work for us to live there on the farm with them. Um, so we moved off the farm, and I uh, remember praying that um, whoever moves there next, that they would get saved. So I actually took oil and I anointed the kitchen sink and I said, Lord, whoever stands at this kitchen sink, let them, you know, just learn about you. And so my sister and her husband moved on the farm and they, uh, they actually got saved uh, living on the farm then. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was exciting. So be, be encouraged, you know, walk with God. My goal for sharing here this morning is really to encourage you. We all need to be strengthened, be strong and courageous, right? Um, we have an adversary, the enemy, that's out to kill, steal, and destroy. But Christ has come to give us life and life more abundantly. And I just want your hearts to be lifted up this morning, encouraged and strengthened in the Lord. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'll, finish, I'll share uh, some more. So if you have your Bibles, turn to first, uh, uh, Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3, this is where the Holy Ghost had just been poured out, and the apostles and the church, I think there's already been 3,000 people baptized before we get into chapter 3, and they're continuing daily in one accord in the temple, they're breaking bread from house to house, and there's rejoicing, there's gladness, they're praising God, and they had favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And now Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. And what time of the day was it? The ninth hour. Is that morning or night? Three o'clock in the afternoon. 
the ninth hour. So they went out to pray, and it was a prayer time. And what's happened? There's a certain man that's lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And this man saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, and he asked for alms. That's what he was there for. He was there to ask for alms. So he was doing what he was supposed to. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us. And he gave heed, or listening to them, expecting to re receive something of them. And Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have, but such as I have I give you. And then he told him to get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And my, my uh, thought here is that what do we have today that we can give? What do we have when we meet people, regardless where they are, we have something. We have something that we can give them. We might not have what they need or they think they need. Like this man thought he needs money. He didn't need money, did he? I mean, he did need money. He was hungry. But he needed something more. And so Peter and John simply gave him what they had. And they healed the man. And the man was rejoicing. And he got saved. And we know the story how many other people got saved through that. And there's other people through the scriptures. We read in uh, Kings about the woman that had, had the, uh, needed the, to make money to pay her for debts, right? And so the uh, prophet said, what do you have? She said, I have a couple jars. So bring your couple vessels, right? And God did it. Moses, when he was in the wilderness, God called him to go back to lead uh, Israel out of Egypt. And he didn't want to go. And God said to him, what do you have in your hand? And he said, I have a stick. He said, throw it on the ground. So with that stick, that little something that Moses had, God did mighty, mighty things. Part of the Red Sea. And so we as Christians have a little something or a lot of something that we can give to others to bring them into the kingdom. So when I got born again, it was very clear that God had given me the gift of evangelism. Uh, I'm a, that's just I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy evangelizing. And so that's what I do today. Um, I'm full-time evangelist, but I have a job that I do as well. But my main goal in life is to share the gospel everywhere I go. When I get up in the morning, when I go out to work, that's my goal. I want to share the gospel. The scripture says uh, that the person who's wise will win souls. So we can all win souls. But God is, and so God has called us all to preach the gospel. Every one of us has been called to share the gospel, the good news. And, but there is... Also, God has given each of us gifts. Jesus ascended into heaven and has given gifts unto men. Some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, evangelists, and teachers. So that the saints could be edified. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of my, uh, how the Lord led us after we uh, left the Amish. So when we got born again, baptized, people found out about it. Then we eventually got excommunicated. And... Uh, then that's when our, our Christian walk really began when I was 20, 26. And um, so he led us into, we made a trip to uh, I, um, Ireland and England. We spent three months there uh, helping to evangelize, which was really fun. And when we moved back, my desire was that we could live in a simple way where I wouldn't have to be worried about making a lot of money or paying big bills, because that's, that's all I knew. I was a businessman before I was a Christian. I knew how to make money. 
And I said, Lord, I just want to learn to, I want to see you move. I want to see uh, me have a need, and I really need you to meet this need, and you'll meet it, like we saw in the scriptures. So we have been praying for a while that God would give us a farm that we could live on, the, on a farm. We would be renting the farm, but we could live there. And instead of getting paid, we could just live there for free. So we had prayed for that for about a year and a half. I said, I, I just want to learn to live without money. And so God answered that prayer. We're in England uh, or Ireland. And about 10 days before we came home, I got an email uh, of, of, a, of a farm like that. This person was someone we knew. And she says, look, um, this person's got this produce farm. And he's looking for someone who wants to live on the farm. for. He's not going to pay you for working. But you don't have to pay rent and no electric. I said, that's exactly what we've been praying for. So we came back and we met with the owner and he said, sure, we moved in the very next week and we sold produce for him and I got to share the gospel. That's where I was first introduced to Muslims. How many of you have physically like met a Muslim? Okay, so we got about 25% of you have met a Muslim. What do Muslims believe? Do they believe that I'm going to heaven? You have Muslims here in Cheyenne, ask them the next time you see them. Say, what do you believe about afterlife? And see what they say. So I met these Muslims. I didn't know what Muslims were. I was scared of them. All I knew was 9-11, bombs, fly, or, uh, planes flying into Twin Towers, and you know, people dying. And... So Muslims, they are um, a group of people that believe Islam. And uh, they come from many different cultures. In fact, in, in America, there's a lot of people that have converted from other religions to Islam. Happens every day. It's the fastest growing religion on the face of the earth. And we as Christians need to get out and share the gospel so that, you know, Muslims hear about Jesus. Because they don't hear, they don't know our Jesus. They know that there was a Jesus who, they don't believe he died. They believe that as he was being led to being crucified, that God tricked the people and put Judas on the cross, made Judas look like Jesus, and Jesus went to heaven. That's what they believe happened to Jesus. And so they believe that if they're good, they'll go to heaven. If they're bad, they'll go to hell. And so they have really no hope. So I met uh, my first Muslim man. We were selling produce, and uh, he pulled up with a cargo minivan, you know, the van without windows around the, the sides. It was just like metal cargo. And I went to put the tomatoes in the side door, and there was two Jersey bulls, about five or 600 pounds, standing in this minivan. And I looked at him and said, what are you doing with these bulls in your minivan, cargo minivan? He goes, oh, I have a warehouse in Philly. I take these bulls there. My clients come in, and they, they say they want to buy a bull, so I butcher it for them, and they take the meat home. That's what I do for a living. And uh, I was so amazed. Have you ever heard about that, bulls in minivans? How about sheep in minivans? Huh? So that's, we, we get to see that a lot at our farm. We have a farm now where we sell lambs and goats and calves to Muslims. We do it every day of the week, six days a week. We're open Monday through Saturday from 7 to 5. And they'll come to our farm. They'll buy a lamb or a goat or a calf, and they butcher it, or we butcher it for them, depending on what they want. And they'll take the meat home. They don't cut out steaks. They just cut out, like, stew meat. Like they'll take the lamb and they'll cut it up in maybe three inch pieces, three by three. And so the reason we do it is to share the gospel. That's why we have the farm. That's why we um, butcher for the, for the Muslims. So 
my, this man with the minivan, his name was Sultan, he was Banglet from Bangladesh. And so I shared the gospel with him the first time I met him, and he was not happy about it. He resisted the gospel. He said he doesn't want to hear it. And he actually went and, like, cleaned up, washed himself after that. He, I guess he didn't, he thought it's so terrible. But as our relationship continued, he now asked me to pray for him. Like, his business is going bad. He says, please pray that my business would get better. So we're actually good friends. Then soon after that, I was introduced to a group of uh, Muslims from Yemen. Where's Yemen at? Somebody tell me where's Yemen at? Near Saudi Arabia. Near Saudi Arabia. Are terrorists trained in Yemen? Yes, Yemen is a terrorist training camp, even in America. So my friends that I'm really, really good friends with are terrorists. They're from Yemen. One of them told me, told the man that was with me with a smile on his face, his name is uh, Jamal, he says, my number one goal for being in America is to burn every church building down and break every cross. That's why I'm here, with a smile on his face. So, they're my friends. I work with them, I call them every week, talk to them, I share the gospel, I send them Bible verses in Arabic, I give them literature, and uh, they come to our house, they sleep at our house, we go to their house, we sleep at their house, we eat with them, they eat with us. I went with them to their mosque, they wanted me to pray, I didn't, I didn't face Mecca, I faced the other way. And someone said, hey, you need to be facing this way. I said, no, 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 I'm fine, let me pray, let me pray. He said, no, 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 you need to be facing this way. I said, no, no, I'm fine. He says, no, no, you need to be facing this way. I says, I'm sorry, I'm friends with Ahmed. He says, Ahmed? Which was the imam's friend. I said, yeah, I'm friends with Ahmed. So then he just let me go. But he thought I didn't know which, and anyway, so I could tell you a lot of stories, but uh, so Jamal's brother is my best friend of all my customers. And uh, he's sitting at my house one night and God put it on my heart to share a testimony with him. There was an ex-Amish woman that we had ministered to who got set free from demons. She was demon-possessed, just like you see in the scriptures, uh, curled up, foaming at the mouth. And um, the Lord um, delivered her that night from her demons. She got born again. We didn't know she got born again that night until later on that next week. And so God put it on my heart to share with him this story. And uh, I shared it with him. When he's done, he says... Let me show you this. He pulled out his phone. He had just come back from Mecca. Now, Mecca is in Saudi Arabia. That's where you go if you're very, very religious. If you're Muslim, you want to make a trip to Mecca before you die. Why? Somebody tell me why you want to get to Mecca. What's the main reason for going to Mecca if you're Muslim? That's where your sins are all erased. If you die in Mecca, you automatically go to heaven, is what they believe. And so he went to Mecca, and uh, while he was there, there was, he showed me this video of this man that was demon-possessed, and the, the, the Muslims were trying to cast this demon out, and they couldn't. It was really sad to watch it, just very tormented person. And so he said, I just came from Mecca, and this, I just witnessed this myself. They couldn't cast this demon out, and you say you delivered this woman from demons. Do you have a video that you could show me? And I said, no, I don't have a video. I didn't even think about taping it. But that night, he asked me if I'd have a Bible he could borrow for a couple months. And I said, actually, I have an Arabic Bible. I can give it to you for free. I mean, I'll give it to you. It's yours. And so that's the kind of relationship we have with him. I went to visit uh, 
I went to see him last year in uh, New York, and while I'm there, he said, yeah, he says, somebody from Yemen, um, their father came here, and now he's sick in the hospital, and he's dying, and he says, I just spent the last three days visiting with him in the hospital. They're very hospitable people, like friendly. Like if, you, if we go to their house, they'll feed us. It's their culture. They need to take time to feed us. And so here his friend from Yemen, his father, he didn't even know him, had never met him, was in the hospital. So he went to the hospital and spent three days with this man in the hospital who was dying or thought he's dying. And so I went with him and we spent some time there. And this man was an imam. An imam is a leader of the mosque. And uh, he came to America because he needed money. He came here to get a job, to work. And so while he's here, he gets this cancer, and he's sick, and he thinks he's going to die. And he calls him and tells his family. They call Salah, and Salah went to talk to him. So there I am, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, can you give me utterance? Can I share the gospel with this man, with this imam? So I did. I started teaching him from the scriptures. I, I opened my mouth, and the Lord filled it. And I got to share with him, and of course he has his arguments. He tells me how I'm wrong and, and Islam is right. And I said, if Jesus would be here, you know how Jesus healed people, right? And he, and he said, yes, I know the stories. It says, would you want Jesus to heal you? And he said, yes, of course. So I said, okay, would it be okay if I would pray for you then? And so uh, I did, I prayed for him, I asked Jesus to heal him. And uh, Salah was videotaping it with his phone. And I didn't see it till later on. I don't know if the man was healed. I need to ask Salah, actually, uh, whatever happened to this imam. But uh, so we have lots of good interactions. Um, we've, been doing, we've been doing this business now for about nine or 10 years. And we have Muslim friends from 20 different countries. Um, and they're real friends um, where we actually enjoy spending time together. I have a Palestinian who. One day we're talking about the things of God, we're talking about judgment to come and the afterlife. And he said, you know, he said, uh, when judgment comes, we'll all be standing in line waiting for our turn to face God. And he says, that's the day we're gonna find out if we go to heaven or if we go to hell. And he says, I think about that every day. And so again, I took an opportunity to share with him about the gospel. And uh, you know, a Muslim is not allowed to think that he would be wrong. If a Muslim starts thinking that he's wrong, he's taught that that's sin. Questioning whether you're right or wrong is sin. That's what they're taught. So his mind opened up. I saw his eyes and I saw his mind opening up for a split second and then he shut it down. And I said, no, you can actually think. You're allowed to think, question whether you're right. I says, Muhammad told you you're not allowed to do that, but you are allowed to do that. So, yeah, we've, we've uh, okay, maybe you can have some questions. Um, it's your turn to talk now. So, I'm just uh, excited to be here, excited to be able to share with you all. I, I really didn't know anybody here except Lillian, but... Uh, So why do why do we why do we have a farm? Huh? Why do we have a farm? To share the gospel, right? Yep.
Her question is, how do the Muslim men view Muslim women or other women? Muslim women? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah, so when we go to visit them in their homes, now this is uh, New York City. You would think it's modern, but it is Yemen when you go into their house. So I felt so bad. I had no idea how Muslims think. And so I, I dropped my wife and then some of the children off at one of the, my customers' houses. And so when I was done with my deliveries, I went to pick her up. So I knocked on the door. Now, I should have waited, but I had no idea. I just opened the door, and there they were sitting on the floor eating breakfast, and I was hungry. So I just sat down with my wife to eat breakfast. And I saw the other woman got, got up and went into another room. And I'm thinking, well, maybe she went to cook more food or something. But I had no idea that men don't mingle with women in their culture. So it was very wrong and disrespectful for me even to go in because there was no men there, even though my wife was there. So we've learned that you know, when the man invites you, then you go in the house. But when you get in the house, there'll usually be Let's say this would be the living room, and that's the kitchen. That door won't be open. You know the women are cooking, but there'll be a curtain there, and they'll either send the youngest boy in, and he'll go in and bring the food out for the men, or they'll slide the, f the food out on a tray. You'll never get to see the women in their homes. Um, so the women cook. They don't have driver's license. Um, they just cook. They're just in the house. When they do go out, they go out with another woman, an older woman, or with their husband or somebody like that. Yeah, there's uh, And that would be how, you know, the Quran really teaches them. That's how they should be living. So does your wife have interaction with them? Oh, yeah. How do they feel about, do they, do, do they appreciate their role? Or? Uh, their role? Like, do they, they don't know any different. Like, we have a Muslim convert that comes to our church. She used to be a Muslim. He was a Christian. She's 70. And she said her husband would beat her. And she was okay with that. She expected to be beaten, because that's what the Quran says, that the husband can beat their wife. So she was okay with it, even though she didn't like it. Yeah. But that's when the gospel enters. All of a sudden, they start reading the scriptures. And her testimony was, as she, she had memorized the Quran by the time she was 14. Memorized it. Now, the Quran is, is not near as big as their New Testament. It's... It's probably about a third, the, maybe half the size of the New Testament. So to memorize the Quran is doable, but she had to memorize. She was using the mosque to recite the Quran. She was the oldest in the family. Her father was religious. And uh, so when she came to Christ, when she rejected Islam in Saudi Arabia, she had a vision of Jesus, but she had no idea who Jesus was. She had never heard about Jesus. And it wasn't until years later that she met missionaries in Egypt that taught her about Christ. And so now she becomes a Christian, but she's really struggling. Uh, and before, her testimony was she actually had the Bible in one hand and the Quran in the other one and said, God, you know I want to serve you. I just need to know who you are. Are you the God of the Bible or the God of the Quran? So, yeah, today she's 70. She still has a burden to seek and save the law. She goes to Iraq. She sets up... Uh, sewing classes for the ISIS, uh, the women that were captured by ISIS in, uh, in Iraq. You know, uh, 10 years ago when ISIS came in and they captured all the Yazidi people and they took the women captive as slaves for them. When they got released, um, it's terrible. But, uh, you know, they come back to their life. They can't bring their children along because those children are um, Muslims. They either have to give them away for adoption or they have to, they get killed. 
Um, so these women come back broken. They had been robbed as little girls from their family, and they were used by ISIS fighters. They had children. Now they can't bring them back home. So now they come back home to nothing. And so she meets with these women, and she sets them up with sewing machines, and she teaches them how to sew, how to make dresses, how to make a business, because these women can't get married. And uh, so she'll travel over there once, once a year or so, and meets with these girls that she taught how to sew, and then she teaches new ones. She teaches Arabic. She teaches English. And uh, she shares the gospel. What other questions? I just thought of one your testimony. Uh, when you and your wife came to the Lord, hmm. was that at the same time? Were you on the same page? Or did that take a Sure. So I was born again in January. She got born again in September, the same year but we were seeking together. And that's not how all Amish families have it. Her brother got born again six years ago and his wife was against him. She was like, this is, we don't like this new belief. And so she really withstood him for a, a number of years. My uncle, he got born again when he was in his 60s. And uh, you know, I think he's probably 72 now and his wife, uh, she just passed away, but she was still Amish when she died last year, but they had a good relationship. She actually was a believer, and she just kept going to the Amish church. He, kept, he didn't go to the Amish church. He got excommunicated. So, yeah, it's different for a lot of, but there's a, the big movement under the Amish people right now. Uh, if you've ever prayed for the Amish to be saved, God is answering those prayers. There's hundreds of Amish people getting saved right now. Hundreds and hundreds are getting saved. Um, it's so exciting in Lancaster County. There's a massive revival happening, and there's literally hundreds of them getting saved. Yes? What is a good way to start a conversation with Muslims? Hmm. They'll start the conversation. Just uh, become their friend. Invite them to your house for tea. We had a Muslim couple that came to buy a lamb. And I invited him to come in for tea, and I didn't think he would. I thought he would just say, no, thank you, I'm fine. But he actually came in for tea. Left his mother with the baby out in the car for two hours while him and his wife sat in our house to drink tea. That was, I was so shocked that he did this. And, you know, I shared the gospel with them, and they were drinking tea and eating biscuits, and, and they were just crying. She was crying. She says, I've been in, in America for, I don't know how many years. She says, I don't have any friends. I don't have nobody. And uh, yeah, they, they, want, they, want, they want friends, so invite them to your house for tea. And if they might say, no, thank you, I'm fine. Invite them the second time, right away on the spot. Then they might say, no, thank you, I'm okay. Invite them the third time, right away, in, in, right in, in rapid succession. Because they're taught to say no the first time that they're invited. Because their culture is more like, um, you want to be friendly, you want to be hospitable, so you want to invite them to come to your house. So let's say you're... Uh, I just happen, you, you happen to come to my village. So I say to you, please come to my house for tea. I don't want him to come, but I have to invite him because I want to be hospitable. So you're going to say, no, thank you. I'm fine. I just had tea. No, no, no. Please come for tea. No, no, I'm fine. Thank you. And I say, no, I really want you to come for tea. And then you accept it on the third invitation. When I went to New York, before I knew all this, I made my deliveries and they're eating their lunch. And they say, here, are you hungry? I'd be like, yeah, they say, here, take our lunch. I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. And I ate their lunch. And then they you know, had to go buy their lunch. 
And then soon I realized that I should actually say, no, I'm fine, thank you, you know. And now I do that, I'll say, no, thank you, I'm fine. And sometimes they won't invite me the second time. It's if they're really serious, they'll invite the third time. So do, invite them to come to your house, say, come, let's have tea together, or let's go down to the coffee shop, do you have a few minutes now? And they'll most likely say, no, we don't have any time. But ask them right away again, again, three times. Make sure you ask for the third time. Um, and then just talking to him, share your testimony. Tell him how God loves you. Tell him what God did for you. You know, maybe tell him about the time that God woke you in the middle of the night and you prayed and God answered your prayer. Or about the time that, you know, you hurt yourself and people prayed for you and, and God answered your prayers and you were healed. Or talk about whatever. Talk about the power of God. They don't know the power of God. They don't know what an answered prayer looks like. Yeah. Sure. It, just plan that way. Plan that there needs to be a separation. If they're from Iran, they won't be, need to be separate. If they're Saudi Arabia's, Yemen, uh, very strict. If, they, if they're wearing the covering, then they want to be separate. And then you'll just you'll call your husband and say, hey, we're, you know, can you come have tea with, um, I'm bringing a family to the house. But they probably, they might not, if they're really religious, they might not even come to your house together. You might have to get so we invited them to come to our house one time, and we didn't know if they were going to come. So we invited the whole family, the, the Yemenese family. And there's like a hundred of them. We invited them to come to our house. So we got all the food ready. We had everything ready. They said they're going to come, but we didn't know if they're going to come. We didn't know they're going to come until two hours before they came, but we had all the food ready. <laughs> so the day before, one of their family members came to check out our farm. He said, "Oh, we're just in the area. We're just driving by. I wanted to say hi." And I thought, "This is so strange. Why is he here?" He came to see whether their farm is safe to bring their women. That's why he came. So, you know, we had even put up a tarp from the, the driveway up to our porch so that the ladies could have the front yard. We put in a water slide for him, and then we had the men on top of the hill. So we, we knew kind of what their culture was. But, yeah, just uh, be yourself. Invite them. And you might even say, if you're talking to a lady, say, look, you know, you and I can have tea in the fam family room, and our husbands can talk in the kitchen. Something like that. Make them comfortable. Don't shake a woman's hand if you're a man. If, yeah, men never shake the women's hands unless they're 60 and older or they're their mother or their aunt or something. Then they might say, so as when I say hi to them, I'll shake hands with the men and then I, I won't shake the hands with the woman. Now, if she's Americanized, she might reach out and shake my hand, but 99% of the time she won't. Um, this is some cultural things that you learn. How did they dress? Surely. Um, so, outwardly very covered. The women, the men dress very covered, very modest. Um, we were invited to a Yemen wedding. The men, again, are in their section. The women are in their section. And it was really an eye-opener to be at their weddings. But there, when the women were all by themselves, they took off their, the, the top part of their wrap, and they weren't dressed that modestly, my wife said, but, yep. But in public, they dress very modestly. So how do we get to share the gospel with Muslims? Because that's what we want to get to. We want to get to be able to share Christ, share the gospel. Um, use your testimony. Talk about what God is doing in your life. We'll talk about what God has done. Don't be ashamed. 
they will tell you what they believe. They'll tell you how wrong you are and how you need to become a Muslim. And uh, yeah, don't just open your mouth. The Lord will fill it. So any other questions? This has been very, uh, very, very good. Are there Muslims in Cheyenne? Do Muslims try to trick you in thinking that Islam is almost like Christianity and, you know, we're just all about the same? Do Muslims do that? Yes, they do. <clears throat> when they start talking with you, they're going to say, oh, we believe the same. Look how you dress. We believe, about, we believe almost the same. It's just a couple small differences. And they'll be, become your best friend the first couple times you meet, and then maybe the second, third time, they'll start telling you how, hey, you know, it's nice to see that you guys are on this path, but you really should, you should be a little more open-minded. You should read the Quran. And uh, the Quran's, of, well, yeah. I don't read the Quran. It's a really heavy book. Quran says you kill Christians. That's what it says. So I don't read it. Nay, Quran says that when Jesus comes back, he's going to kill all the Christians and break all the crosses. Mm -hmm. So I don't read it. Jesus has given me life. Okay, thank you. God bless you.